Well, good morning again. And if you could turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. You know, this is uh, Labor Day Sunday, as I said earlier. And uh, Labor Day, for many people, uh, marks the unofficial end of summer. Because uh, September is actually the month where uh, we experience the, the official transition into, uh, into, into fall. However, uh, since we moved here, I realized that nobody ever told Southeast Louisiana that, that this is the end of summer. Okay, This might have been the hottest weekend yet. Um, but as we kind of near the end of summer, uh, I remember growing up uh, on the farm, one of the things I really looked forward to at the end of each summer was that at the end of summer, we had harvest season. So you work all year long, growing the crops, and then finally when fall gets here or the end of summer gets here, you get into harvest season. And one of the things in particular, uh, the very first thing we would harvest at the end of summer was corn. We would actually do what we called corn silage. We would chop up the corn, the plant, the stalk, the leaves, the tassel, the ears, everything was all chopped up into a big mix. We'd pile it up and feed it to the cattle for the rest of the year in, in these massive piles, probably bigger than this room. Um, and I still remember that's, that's not the important part about that, although my brothers told me they just did that a couple weeks ago. Um, but one of the best parts about that harvest season was when we would have all my cousins were working together, my dad and his twin brother, sometimes my uncle would come and help. Um, it would get to be about halfway through the day and we were all hot and sweaty and tired and dusty. You had stuff in your eyes and then it was lunchtime. And so we would all shut it down, shut down the machines and go back to the house into the air conditioning where we had a gigantic meal that had been prepared uh, by my mom or by others. We would pause from our work so we could enjoy a meal. And it was really like a feast uh, every single day of harvest. Well, this morning, I want to invite you to pause from your work, pause from the ordinary routine of your life and join me. Uh, for this meal. We want to join together for this symbolic meal called Holy Communion. You know, you may be tired from your work. Uh, you may feel dirty and dusty from whatever challenges you've been facing uh, this week or this summer or this year. You may even feel like you've overheated or become overwhelmed with things. But that's the beauty of communion is to realize that we can pause and rest and the grace and peace that Jesus Christ provides for us. And that's what we want to do with our service this morning. You know, we want to celebrate and share this meal together. And no matter what you faced uh, this week or this summer or this year, know that if you've trusted Jesus, you have peace with him. And you can end with one another. And, and we're going to celebrate that communion this morning. You know, Jesus said, uh, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so this morning, again, our goal is to rest in him, rest in what he has done on our behalf uh, and, and move into that. You know, we've just come through a series on the minor prophets. If you've been with us this summer, you know, we've been going through the 12 final books of the Old Testament. And there's a lot of heavy stuff in there. In fact, some would say it's been dry and dusty and, and a little uh, overwhelming at times. Because just when you think you're about to take a break, bam, there comes another message of judgment. And just when you think it's almost over, another condemnation, another indictment. Um, it's a valuable part of Scripture. And it has a lot of hope in there. Uh, but like I said, it feels like we've walked through a journey of, of, some, of some difficult things. You know, it's one of the least used portions of scripture and i think people avoid it because it's difficult 
Um, and we've just come through that. You know, uh, the minor prophets conclude the Old Testament, and then we move into the New Testament. And, and the New Testament begins in Matthew chapter 1 with the coming of Jesus Christ, uh, which ties all those promises that God makes and the prophets together. And so that's what we're going to celebrate this morning, is the things that Jesus provides us with uh, as his church. Uh, so this morning I pray that we will be refreshed by the fulfillment of God's promises in Jesus Christ. And so as I thought about where do we want to turn to look at that, to kind of tie up the summer and to, uh, and to shift our focus from our last series, uh, I wanted us to look at John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. Uh, and if you were going to Google the most w- often quoted verse in the Bible, it's probably going to be something like John 3.16. So there's a good chance that most of you have heard this verse before, the first verse. Um, uh, and if you haven't, then welcome. This is a really, really special verse, a really special passage. And I look forward to, to opening it up for us today as we uh, move toward our celebration of communion. So if you've got your Bibles open, let's read John 3. Listen as I read John 3.16 through 21. It says this, For God so loved the world... That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. This is the word of God. Thanks be to him. So if you uh, hear that passage, I want us to realize this morning, uh, there's a real danger when you read a verse like John 3.16, or you read a passage like this that you've heard your whole life. Just like I would say there's a real danger when you come to celebrate communion, something you've done your whole life, it's something your church does uh, periodically. Uh, And the danger is this, that you just kind of glaze over and just do it because you've always done it. Or you glaze over and hear that verse uh, just like you've always heard it. I really want us to dig in because the truths in that verse and in this passage are some of the deepest, most profound things, and I don't want us to miss it. And so I put up there on the screen, and if you've got your bullets and you'll see there are three key phrases, they all come out of verse 16, that I want us to focus on this morning uh, to guide our hearts into a celebration of communion. Uh, by the way, if you're joining us online, welcome. Uh, we're glad you're here, and uh, you can find the bulletin on our website, trinityefca.com. And so... Uh, these three key phrases, again, like I said, these are phrases I'm sure you've heard. In fact, if you wanted to, you could probably go and fill in the blank right now on, on all those phrases because uh, you know the verse. But I want us to pause on each one and unpack it and think about the lengths that God went to in order to forgive our sins and to provide peace with him. So uh, with that being said, the three phrases that we're going to look at this morning... Uh, is the first one is this, and that is God so loved the world. God so loved the world. You know, if, uh, if we were actually going to just preach a sermon on one verse, you could preach a whole sermon just on that phrase, I think. Uh, and, and you notice that I highlighted the word loved. We're going to come back to that. That's the key word in that phrase. 
But every word in that phrase, every word in God's word, but especially every word in this phrase is significant. If you think about this, uh, it's, it begins with the word God. God so loved the world. God is the creator of the earth. If you think about where does the Bible be- begin? Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The creator of the universe is the one that we're talking about here. If you read through the Old Testament, there are really a couple of themes that really dominate the Old Testament. One is that God created the earth. Number two is that he is redeeming the earth. He's the creator and he's the redeemer. You see, Genesis is a lot about creation and the trouble that humans get themselves into. Uh, And then Exodus begins this theme of redemption. God says, I'm going to redeem the broken people. And so when we look at John 3.16, it says, God so loved the world. Who is this God? He's the creator of the universe. That's who we're talking about here. John 1, if you go back to the beginning of John, it says, in the beginning was the word. It's, It's harking back to Genesis 1 and just saying that this person who comes to save the world, this person named Jesus Christ, is the same God who existed at the beginning of time, the one who created all things. So he's the creator, he's the redeemer. We were reminded in the minor prophets also that sobering fact that God is also the righteous judge, the one who brings judgment on sin. So so the judge is the one who loved the world. So it says, God so loved the world. That little word, so, I actually once heard a whole Bible lesson taught on just that one word. God so loved the world. Because it's not, the point there is, is God saying, Uh, he's saying that I love the world in just this way. In other words, it was in a unique way, not a common, ordinary way. In fact, if you look at, uh, at the, at the Greek words in this verse, I'm not going to give you a Greek lesson here, but actually the very first word of John 3.16 in Greek is the word thus or so. Thus God has loved the world. And so we don't want to miss it. In what way has God loved the world? In what way is he talking about here? He says it's a unique way, just so. Um, to help us understand this, I mean, let's think about uh, let's think about holidays, right? So every day of the week you go to work like a normal day. On the weekends you kind of do your normal thing, but every now and then we come to a special day, what we call a holy day or a holiday. Um, like tomorrow is Labor Day. I wouldn't call that a holy day, but we call it a holiday. It's a different day than any other day. It's a unique day out of the whole year. Most of us don't have to work that day. Um, same thing with other holidays, right? Uh, like the 4th of July. That's a special day. Only once a year do we light off fireworks and blow things up to, to celebrate our country. It's a different kind of day. And that helps us understand, I think, what, what John is talking about when he said that God so loved the world in a specific kind of way. Just so. A unique kind of way. And what is that way? He so loved the world by giving us his son. Do you see what it says later in that verse? He so loved the world that he gave his only son. Specifically, that's what it says. That's the way that God loved the world. Don't pass over that too quickly. Because what was involved in that, if you go back and read through the Gospels, God became a man. God became a man. The second person of the Trinity was born as a human, left his home in heaven behind. Why? Because God so loved the world. 
Not only did he come as a human, he grew up, lived a perfect life. And then, as we find out, he was crucified. How did God so love the world? He gave Jesus. He gave Jesus. God so loved. Let's look at that third word. God so loved. Promise we're not going to look at every word in these ten verses, or these six verses one by one, but here at the beginning I want to hit on every word. So when we talk about what does it mean that God loved in this way, what does that mean? I think we have to realize that when it says God loved the world is that he took action. This is not just a feeling that he felt about the world. This is not just a feeling that uh, that we might feel towards God. This is actually something that God did. God took action on our behalf. And I think you could sum up his action in, in a couple of different ways, but one would be to say that he sacrificed. Think about what Jesus sacrificed in order to come and show us his love. He left his home in heaven. He sacrificed his own life. His body was broken. His blood was shed. That's the way that God showed love to us. The way that God chose to show us love. And what did it cost him? Again, think about the Old Testament. Isaiah 53, it talks about how all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then Isaiah 53 goes on to talk about how he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. That's how God showed us love. So not only sacrificing, he suffered on our behalf. And here's the important one. We think about communion today. Don't forget the fact that it was a substitute thing, a substitutionary thing. In other words, Jesus stepped in and took the place of what we deserved. All those punishments that I described, that I mentioned out of Isaiah 53, those are the things that we as humans deserved because we're the sheep who wandered away. But Jesus stepped in willingly and took them on himself. He was a substitute. You know, if you, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever wondered if, if Bible verses were kind of written backwards, what would it sound like? Because really, if you think about it, we deserve the punishment that Jesus got. So think about it. If God said, I'm not going to do the Jesus thing, I'm not going to uh, send a Savior. In fact, I'm just going to condemn the world. What if John 3.16 was written backwards and it said something like this? For God so condemned the world that he poured out his judgment on sinners so that whosoever has sinned will perish and suffer eternal damnation forever and ever. How awful would that be? But it's not written that way. It says, for God so loved the world. Even though we deserve that condemnation, Jesus substituted, took our place. And he says, I love you and I'm going to die for you. I'm going to shed my blood. I'm going to have my body broken in your place to pay for your sins so that you might have eternal life. That's a good transaction for us. (laughs) That's favorable. And that brings us to the last part of this phrase. It says, God so loved the world, the world. And so don't miss this. This, when it says the world, that's not just talking about a generic thing. That's talking about the people in the world. 
And I've heard people say over the years that you can actually take that word world out and put your name in there. And I think that's accurate. That is accurate. Because when it says God so loved the world, that means that God so loved you. God so loved me. God so loved Marcus. Put your name in there. God so loved Roberto. God so loved Pete. God so loved Sarah. Fill in your name. He loved you so much that he sent his son to be the sacrifice for your sins. Don't miss that. This verse is about you and about me and about every single human being who has ever lived. God makes this available. So the key word in this verse, the one that we highlighted, is loved. Think about what that word means. God's sacrificial, substitutionary, his suffering love on our behalf. God loved each one of you enough to offer you forgiveness through his son, Jesus Christ. And so the question this morning is, have you experienced that love? Do you know what that love feels like? To have unconditional forgiveness for everything you've ever done wrong. Have you experienced that? If you have experienced it, have you shared it? And if you haven't experienced it, then how do we, how do you experience it? Well, that brings us to the second phrase that I want us to look at this morning, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So whoever believes in him. Okay. This is, this is another key phrase for a number of reasons, but this is how you experience that love from God is by believing in him. But before we get to that key word believes, there's another word right there, that word whoever. We don't want to jump over that. Because again, that's one that tells us that when we say God so loved the world, you can put whoever's name in there. Because whoever will believe in him can experience that love. Whoever. You know, no matter who you are or where you've been, what you've done, what you've struggled with, what you're struggling with right now, no matter what it is, God says whoever you are, You can believe in me and have eternal life. Whoever, no exceptions, anyone who believes can have eternal life. You know, I was thinking about this. uh, There were some articles that were published this week about they're trying to figure out, if you think about the idea of college admission, how are you going to get into college? And so some of you, that's fresher on your minds than others. Some of you who are coming up to college or if you have kids who are thinking about going to college um, or maybe you're in college right now. Uh, but in the past, there were all these uh, admission procedures, right? You had to pass the ACT, get a high score on the ACT or the SAT, uh, have good grades in school. Well, guess what? Last spring, a whole grade of people were not able to take the ACT because of COVID. So now they're saying, well, how do we decide who gets in and who doesn't? Because really colleges, especially if you're trying to get scholarship money, it's pretty exclusive, right? You have to demonstrate your ACT score has to be at this level. If you're below that level, sorry, you're, you're not going to get any scholarship money. You might not even get accepted. It's based on your grades, your activities, all these different things. And so uh, when I was thinking about that, I, it dawned on me that that is the opposite of what Jesus tells us here in John 3.16. It doesn't matter what your grades were. There's no tests you have to take in order to get God's love. There's no level you have to be at before God will love you. It says, whoever believes in him, no matter where you're coming from, you don't have to be qualified. 
God says, I give you the opportunity to experience my love. And the way you receive my love is by believing. That's that word that's so key. Trusting. That word believe means to trust, depend, uh, to lean on. Um, It's the idea of you fully putting all your trust in one thing. Not saying, I'm going to put most of my trust in leaning on this podium, but I'm also going to trust my legs to hold me up, okay? If I was going to demonstrate true trust to you this morning, I would actually climb up on top of this podium. I'm not going to do that because I don't trust this podium, okay? I don't want to give you that kind of a show this morning. So uh, I want to just make this point, though, is that uh, this idea of, of God saying that whoever believes, whoever totally depends on me for forgiveness of sins, That makes Christianity actually the most inclusive religion in the world. In other words, there's nothing you have to do to measure up to receive God's love or his salvation. It's open to anyone who believes. And some people have said, well, doesn't that make believing something you have to do? The answer is no. Because if you truly understand what it means to trust and depend and believe, it means that you cease trying to do it on your own. Trusting means you stop trying to hold yourself up and you trust Jesus to carry you, Jesus to forgive your sins. It's not whoever believes in him plus something else. It says whoever believes in him, in Jesus alone. It's not whoever believes in Jesus plus my own good actions. Or it's not whoever believes in Jesus plus my baptism. When I was baptized years ago, that's what's going to get me into heaven. And that's what's going to get me God's love. It's not whoever believes in Jesus plus my religion. All the things I do. The fact that I'm a Christian or a fill in the blank. It's not whoever believes in him plus my giving and my generosity. If I give enough money, then God will accept me. Not plus, my parents were Christians, so that makes me a Christian. No, it says whoever believes in him. To stop trying to earn your salvation, to stop trying to earn God's forgiveness or his acceptance, it's only by believing and trusting. Think about all the things that God did. He so loved the world, he sent his son to suffer and die in your place. And what do we have to do? We have to stop trying and we have to trust. I said it was the most inclusive religion. I would actually rephrase that. It's the most inclusive relationship. Anyone can have a relationship with God if they will trust in Jesus alone. Because Christianity is not an empty religion, just a set of rituals. It's a relationship with the living God, the creator of the universe, who came to die for you and for me. And all we have to do to receive his love is believe, trust, depend on him. So the question this morning is, have you believed? Fill your name in there. If Marcus believes in him, he will have eternal life. Can you say that? I have believed in him and therefore I have eternal life. If not, I would ask you, what is there that's keeping you from believing? What is there from that's keeping you from releasing and telling him, Lord, I trust you alone. I know there's nothing else. And today is the best day to do that. So please talk to me, talk to Miguel or someone else here. If you have questions about it or if you'd like to believe today, by all means, make today the day. But if you have believed, that brings us to our third phrase. 
the idea that we have eternal life. The fact that we have eternal life. Eternal life versus condemnation, which is what we, what we deserve. You know, we've come through the minor prophets. How many times did God's people mess up and he says, I've given you chance after chance after chance to repent. Now you're going to be condemned. Condemned to judgment. And God says, I offer you the same option. You can be forgiven and cleansed and made free. And avoid the condemnation. Look at verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Back to verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. You know, one of the reasons I think the minor prophets get a bad rap is because there's so much judgment, so much condemnation. Uh, and again, remember, it's deserved condemnation. But the beauty of God's plan is that he says the only way you will ever be able to experience forgiveness and avoid the condemnation is through the coming of a special person. And that's Jesus Christ, the one whose body was broken for you, the one whose blood was poured out for you. What's the result? If you believe in him, you have eternal life. Not condemnation, you have eternal life. Do you notice those three, three words there? You see them on the screen. God loves, we believe, and then what's the result? You have eternal life. Those three words are pretty important. Love, believe, and have. And if you think about what it means to have something... This means that you have it for all eternity. It's a promise from God that if you have believed, you have this, it can never be taken away from you. If you have believed. But I think something we sometimes miss is when we think about eternal life, we think, oh yeah, that's what's going to happen when I die. I'll go to heaven and then I'll get my eternal life. That's not true. Let me tell you, your eternal life actually begins the moment that you trusted Christ. So if you trusted Christ years ago, your eternal life began years ago. Your life with God. At salvation, you already have it. That's a present tense verb right there. It says, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So what I want us to see there with that idea is this is important. It's not like a Christmas present. If you think about your Christmas or, or your birthday presents, those sit there, they're wrapped under the tree or wrapped there on the table, and you can't have them. You can't play with them if you're a kid until you open it. Well, guess what? Eternal life is not something that we open when we die. This is actually something that we get when we trust Christ. Sure, there are certain parts of eternal life that are not unlocked yet, right? That God's going to give us in their entirety when we reach heaven. For example, physical health, right? We still live in a broken world, uh, broken relationships. All these things are still broken. We live in a broken world, yet we have the down payment of what God has promised us through his Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 tells us. But God says you have access to this eternal life right now. You have a relationship with me. And you can walk with me all the days of your life on earth. And guess what? If you do, uh, you will experience joy everlasting. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If you think about this idea that God says you have eternal life if you've believed in him, how do we respond to that? 
First of all, like I said, I would hope that you've realized this and you've believed it, you've trusted it. But then we have to celebrate it and proclaim it. And that's what communion is. That's why churches, that's why Jesus told us to celebrate communion often as a church. To remember this love that he has shown to us. The eternal life that he gives us through the sacrifice that Jesus made. And the beautiful thing is Jesus didn't stay dead. We're going to talk about this in our upcoming sermon series starting next week uh, in the book of Acts. That Jesus came back to life uh, and began the church. Sent us out on a mission. And so if you've experienced this love, we're going to celebrate it as a church this morning. But then you also celebrate it by proclaiming it and telling everyone around you what you've experienced. And what you will experience through your eternal life with him forever. We sang a song a little bit earlier. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And that's what we want to celebrate this morning. That God so loved us. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but will have eternal life. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for that eternal life. And uh, that's what we want to celebrate here in just a moment. So let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to worship you this morning. God, we thank you for the love that you showed us. And God, we praise you for the chance to celebrate that now together as a church family this morning. We pray that you'd receive our worship as an offering that is fit for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.